the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. The title of my message today is the story of the Bible. And I just want to talk about the Bible and, and, and what the Bible is and, and what the Bible isn't. And um, when I first be, became a Christian, I had already read the Bible a few times, right? So uh, I, 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 used to, I used to be an atheist. I, I didn't believe in God. But, but because I was an aggressive atheist, I made sure that I read the Bible because I wanted to be informed when I came into combat with Christians, you know? Um, so, so like, I, I read the book, and I learned the stuff, and I, and, like, as soon as they will quote something, like, I would go back, and I would read it, and then I'll find stuff to, to counter that, and it's like a game of Mortal Kombat, you know, and I, and I had my finisher, you know, um, and then I would end them with, 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 with like, my, my final verse, um, and I would use the, the Bible for that, and, but when I became a, a Christian, and I started to read the Bible again with fresh eyes, um, it, it was very interesting, you know, and, and, the, and then the people around me would share things about the Bible and, and what they saw, and, and I found that a lot of it was very different. And as, as I read the Bible, I, I think that many people in here, some of you pro- probably have, you decided, I'm going to read the Bible. You know, January 1st is when everybody decides, I'm going to read the Bible, right? And so we say, it's a new year, new day, you get your little Bible app, you open up the little thing, and it's going to remind you every day, and it tells you where you are. And so you'll do good with that, right? So, so we get through Genesis. Like, the, the story's progressive. It looks really good. Um, you get to Exodus, and the story's still continuing. And then by the time you get to the end of Exodus, they're, it's like breastplates, and, and they're building stuff, and it gets a little weird. And if you push past that, you get into Leviticus. You're like, you're like all right, this is... This is this is a little weird, all right? And then you might get to numbers. You, you, you probably won't get to numbers. <laughs> and then you get to Deuteronomy. You're like, I've read this story before. And, and, and then you kind of just decide, all right, I'm just going to start reading the Gospels. I'm going to go to John. And then you start reading John, and then you get to like John 3, and then you get to John 3, 16, which you love. And then you get to like John 3, 17 and 18. And you're like, what? This isn't the same as John 3, 16. So you give that up. You're like, All right, let me go to the Pauline letters. And, and then by this time, you're at the end of January. And you're like, 2016. I'll do it in 2016. And then we kind of just give up on that whole thing. It, I, I picture reading the, the Bible sometime. For those of you who are local here from Miami, when I picture reading the Bible, I think of starting at downtown. So downtown is like, like First Street, First Avenue, like Miami Avenue and Tamiami, I, I think is like the, like the center of the city. Flagler, right? So at, at, at like Flagler, you, you start at Flagler, like downtown, at that intersection. You start there, and that's your genesis. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to travel Miami. And you decide, I am going to go west. You travel west. You see a little bit of Kaiocha, you see the big chickens, it's like, this is great. You know, you, you, you pass a few restaurants, there's, there's people everywhere, this is great. You get a little further, there's not so many businesses anymore, there's more residentials. And so there's not like people having a good time, now it's just like people jogging, like, and, 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 a, and a lot of cars. And then you go a little further west, and you're like, all right, it's just homes. There's really no businesses now, it's just homes. It's not as exciting as Flagler in downtown, but... I can keep trotting. 
then you get out to like Chrome. <laughs> you're like, you're like, where am I? You know, I feel like you stepped into like, like another realm or something. And, and then how many of you have ever gone past Chrome? You go past Chrome and it's like, this is not Miami. This is like Tennessee or something. This is like country. There's horses out there. There's chickens running around. So it's completely different. And if you keep going, now you're like that. You're in the swamps. You can't even get anywhere anymore. Alligators are trying to kill you. This is Leviticus, right? This is like, this is like I don't know what's going on anymore. I may or may not drown and if I might die. I don't know what's happening. And then you stop at the Everglades and you think to yourself, I'm just going to move to the middle of the country where if I go west, life stays exciting. And, and one of the things about reading the Bible in a certain way is to understand that from the center of the city all the way out to, to the Everglades, there's a small thread that connects everything. And so someone who knows the, the, the totality of Miami can, can tell you how that and this kind of creates what Miami is. This is, if I were to define Miami, most people, when they think Miami, they think party. Like, ah, it's a party town, everybody's going to hang out, we're going to drink, we're going to have a good time, we're going to go to the beaches, woo! And then they come and they move here, and they're like, it's traffic, <laughs> people are rude, this isn't Miami, right? So like, how do you take all of that and, and, and give a true definition of what Miami is? And I think there's like a little thread that just strings all the way from the center of the city all the way out to the Everglades that just connects it and helps it to make sense. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at the single story of the Bible. The Bible is 66 books by a bunch of different artists and and they paint different pictures for us and somehow all these different pictures come together and make one big beautiful thing and that's what I think we have to be able to look at. If you don't know the single story of the Bible, you will make up stories as you go along and you'll never really get a, a a good picture of what, the, of what God is in the Bible. And so people use the, the Bible for their own benefit. How many of you have, have a conversation with someone who decides that they're going to use the, the Bible to prove you wrong? Right? One, one, one person. All right, cool. And, and how many of you have used the Bible to prove other people wrong? All right, more, more of us, right? And, 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 so, and then the Bible starts to become something else now, right? And, and, and then we'll focus on little things like Nephilims. <laughs> and we're like, what are Nephilims? It's like men are having sex with these things. Nephilims, what are Nephilims? And then we create this whole theology about Nephilims. And then we try to, man, you gotta get, you gotta get this Nephilims. You gotta get about the Nephilims. You gotta, you gotta know about the Nephilims. You gotta know about the, the God. This is where God is. It's like, this is the story of the whole Bible. You gotta understand the Nephilim. This is the central point. And we get lost in the details. We get lost in all the details, and then we lose sight of the big picture. And, and if you're following along, that brings us to number one, just coming out the gate swinging. The Bible is the story of the, of the mending of the relationship between God and man. It's the mending of the relationship between, or you could put between me and God, if, if, if you like. Or I like to put it, just, just for clarity for me, I, I, I put, it is the mending of the relationship between God kind and mankind, right? Because, because God is another topic that we'll have at some other time where we just, what is God and who is God and what does that mean? So like when you're having a conversation and you say God and someone else says God, you're talking about two completely different things I hope you know, right? So many of the times when you're talking to someone and you say, well, I believe in God and they say, yeah, me too, it's probably not the same person, right? Because then you start talking about Jesus, like, oh, well, I'm not really religious. Like, what are you talking about? I thought we believed in God. It's like, it's not the same God, right? And, but that's a whole other topic. But 
Have you, have you ever had a conversation with someone? So as a police officer, people ask me all the time, like, what is the greatest thing? Like, what's the most exciting thing you've done? Like, and I'll tell stories. And like, have you ever told someone a story, and by the time you're done with the story, like, this is how you know what they heard. Their response. Like, how, like what are you going to say in response to the story? So I tell this story, right? Like, someone was going to get killed, and, and I saw the gun, the guy was shooting, I got out, I shot at the guy. This was all the whole thing. And I tell the whole story. And then they're like, the county gets you an unmarked car for free? <laughs> like, like, all right, so that, that's, that's what you heard. That's, that's what you just got from this whole story. That's, that's the thing that you think this story is about. And I think that sometimes if we don't get the fact that the, the story of the Bible is about the mending of the relationship between God, kind, and mankind. And so the story begins in Genesis. When the story begins in Genesis, everything is all beautiful and everything works. And all the stuff you read in Genesis, like, I love the book of Genesis. I love apologetics. I, I, I love to, to talk about creationism and etc. But don't get lost in the details, right? It, it's, it's, it's just a picture for you to understand what's about to happen. That's, that's why the Bible doesn't go into, like, all the details. So people argue, like, the seven days is not really seven days. It's like, it's like, it's like thousands of each, each day, is like a thousand years. Or, or is it seven literal days? Or, or, or is it, like, prophetic for something else? Don't get lost in the details. Because then you're going to argue with someone else. You're going to disagree. And then by the time you end the conversation, you went in there to preach the gospel. And you came out, like, doing something that's not like the gospel. And then no one gets to know Jesus, all because we couldn't agree on what seven days were. That's not the point of the Bible, so let's not spend too much time on that. If it doesn't help us to get the message across, let's abandon it and stick to the plot, right? And so that just gives us a picture. Everything leading up to that, that's why there's not a whole bunch of details there. And when there are no details, if you find yourself having to create details as you go along, I think you start to travel down different roads. You stop traveling west at that point right? You hopped on Chrome and you started going with the flow of traffic and now you're in the neighborhoods and now you're getting lost, right? So let's, let's not get lost. Let's just keep traveling straight through and don't get too lost in the details. Study them. They're important. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to abandon them, but what I'm saying is to not focus on the small details. So the story begins with creation. We see God creates man. And then in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man and he said, you are free. Everybody say, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not. Say, but you must not. All right, so we see the contradictory there. You are free, but you must not, right? And, and, and we see the picture there where God gives freedom, but he also gives boundaries in, in order to keep your freedom right? And so freedom isn't doing whatever you want. Freedom is living life according to how God created you to be. And in order for you to do that, he sets up boundaries to help you stay free, right? And, and so he said, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you will certainly die, right? That's, that's the first promise that God's made. If you eat this, you will certainly die. And, and then in verse 22 of Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed woman from the rib of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man, and this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And, 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 and verse 25 is one of my favorite, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right, so, so this is a beautiful picture 
of this is again this is just to get us to on this we're, we're getting to the point of the bible here so let's not get lost in the details he just kind of paints in a picture so you can understand what's about to come next so they were naked they were free there was no shame this is the good life now there was a serpent who was craftier than any other animal that the lord had made and the, and the and he said to the woman did god really say that you must not eat of any tree in the garden And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees that are in the garden, but God said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent replied, he said, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw the fruit from the tree, and it was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took it, and she ate it, and she also gave it to her husband. And, and right there is the broken relationship. The, the, the point of everything you've read so far is for you to understand this. That is the point where the relationship between God and man becomes broken. If there was no fall, if this event never occurred, would there still be a Bible? If there, if there was no fall, would we have the Bible as we have it? I, I, I don't think so, I, I, because I read the Bible and it's all in a response to this. The rest of the Bible is a response to this one event. It's, it's everything that happens from here is predicated on the fall. And so when you start to have conversations with people about sin and people will tell you, well, I don't believe that this is a sin. You know, um, Krista and I were having a conversation, I think it was yes, yesterday, where we're trying to figure out, like, because... How do we approach certain things in that people will, will say, I don't believe that's a sin. And say, well, you kind of don't have the right to define that. Like, like just, just really simple. Like that, I, I love, that's like an opinion, but you, you can't say, it, it's like saying, like, what are the qualifications to go to heaven? How many of you have heard, just be a good person, right? You can't say that because the whole idea of heaven, it comes in a whole package that tells you how to get there also. And so you can't take a piece of the package and then redefine it and, and then say, this is how you get there. Like, the, the thing that tells you there's a heaven, it also tells you how to get there. And so you, you, can't, you can't recreate heaven. Like, that's impossible. The, the example that I used in our conversation was that if, if I was talking to someone from the 1600s and I said, I, I, I am at my house on my iPad connected to the Wi-Fi searching Google, and they would say, oh, Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's like the connection between us and people. Like, like Wi-Fi is the love that we have for one another. It's like, no, it's not. Wi-Fi is like the internet. It's like the wireless connection between my computer and this thing. It's like it connects to the router. It's like, no, 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 no. Wi-Fi is the connection between us. It's like you can't take, I'm telling, I'm the one who's introducing the idea of Wi-Fi to you. You don't know anything about Wi-Fi. So I'm telling you what, what Wi-Fi is. You, you, can't, you can't extract Wi-Fi from my, from my description and redefine it and then tell me that I'm wrong about what Wi-Fi is. You wouldn't know about Wi-Fi if it wasn't for me. God is the one who introduced the idea of sin. You wouldn't know about sin if it wasn't for God. So you can't then say, I don't believe that this is what sin is. Like, God is the, like, like you can't extract that and then redefine it and then try to create it into something else, right? And, and, and so, so we see from this fall, we see from this thing, every single problem that you have in your life, everything that you may encounter in your life, that anything that you've ever prayed for comes from this one instance where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. 
Everything stems from this. This is, this is the climax of the story, and it's introduced right at the beginning. And so we ought to understand the rest of it in light of that. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So, I, so, so what, what Paul is saying to the church of Rome is that all of you are sinners, not because you did something wrong, but because Adam and Eve sinned. And so, you, so, so he's, he's referring now to Adam. He says, if through one man, every problem in your life stems from this one man, and you have to believe that, you have to believe that, not only for you, you have to believe that for the people around you. And so when, when we talk about sin, sin is, is no longer primarily a behavior. Sin, sin is no longer primarily something that someone does because sin entered into the world. And if sin is an action, then we have to say, which sin entered into the world? And then for the Christians, we would say, oh, this was the one sin that entered into the world. So sin is no longer just a single action. So, so you can't pick the sin of your choice and say, like, this is the one thing. Like, sin is an atmosphere. I, I describe it like, chem- like chemical warfare. Like something comes and just drop bombs and releases a gas, and then we just breathe that gas in, and the gas changes the atmosphere, it changes everything. And that's what creates actions. And so it's not primarily an action, but it is an atmosphere, or as Paul calls it, the principalities. Right, that, that's what sin is. And, and, and so, so if, if, if sin is not primarily an, an action, but it is an atmosphere, then, then Paul says, if through one man sin entered into the world, you, you've got to believe that for the rest of the story to make sense. Because there's going to be an undoing of that soon. And if you don't believe this part, then this part is not going to make any sense. And so if, if, if we say the whole story of Adam and Eve is, is just a fairy tale or it's just a picture there's no way that Christ is going to make sense to you. Because if through one man sin entered into the world, the point of that is there's going to be another man through which grace and righteousness and and freedom is going to enter into the world. So you've got to start with this. This is the central point of the entire Bible. And so the rest of the book is just how the mending of the relationship occurs. And that's how we ought to read the scriptures. And we see immediately, we see the, the mending of the relationship happen um, in, in, in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard a sound in the garden, and he was walking in the cool of the day, and it was God. God was walking with them. And so they disobeyed God, and immediately we see God coming on the scene. And in, in, in Genesis 3.21, the... Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And there we see the first death that's occurring. Again, this is another picture of the mending of the relationship. You remember God says, you will surely die, right? And, and, and some, some people think that it, it means like a, a spiritual death where, where they're separated from humanity. And, and, and others like myself, I believe it's both. I believe that it's a spiritual death, but I also believe that God said you will die physically, because they were going to live forever. And God said, now you're going to die. Death has come into the picture. And then he says, but the mending of the relationship, the whole point, he begins right there, the very next breath, the very next thing that happens is God says, all right, instead of killing you, there's going to be an animal that's going to die in your place. And when that animal dies, I'm going to take the, the carcass of the animal and cover you and clothe you. We see an immediate picture of Christ. 
We see an immediate picture. Instead of your death, the Christ dies and then he clothes you with the Spirit. And so immediately we see God painting pictures of the mending of the relationship immediately after it's broken. Immediately we see those, those pictures. And then, and then for the next few chapters, we get to see what life is like with a broken relationship. And that's when we talk about the Nephilims. That's when we start to, to, to talk about all the chaos. Genesis 6, verse 5 through 8, is the culmination of this. The Lord God saw the great wickedness of the human race, and he saw every inclination of their thoughts, and that the human heart was evil all the time. Like, this is the culmination. So there was separation from God, and then the next few chapters is, this is what life looks like when humanity is separated from God. There is nothing but evil. Their hearts are wicked. Their thoughts are wicked. They have sex with things, things and people, and it's weird. Think, weird things start to happen, and it's disgusting, and it's chaotic when God is not in the picture. And so God says, all right, here's, here's the fall that happened in the garden, and for the next few chapters, do you see what happens when you're separated from God? It's just, you're, you're no good without me. Do you guys get that? Like, you're no good without me. He's just, and he says, all right, do you get it? Let's clean it up. He, he chooses Noah. We see the flood. And, and, and then the mending of the relationship continues. And, and, and that takes us into number two. The Bible is a story of God's love pursuit for me. And so the, the story goes on and, and until we now get to Abraham. Now, when we read the Bible, we have to question why the Bible picks certain people. Like, so there's like hundreds of people, thousands of people, but, but yet the Bible picks to tell us certain stories of certain people along the way. That should tell us that it's aiming towards one thing, right? I, I just want to teach a little bit and then, we'll, and, and then we'll talk about something more exciting. But I think this is really important for us to understand how to read the Bible. Like, what are we looking for when we read this? What is the point in this whole thing? Genesis 12, right? Genesis 12, we see the story of Abraham. And so out of all the people that existed, right, and Genesis 10 and 11 tells us of all these people who existed, and the story focuses on Abraham. Now the focus on, on, on Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's house and to a land that I will show you. It says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the people on the earth and you, they'll, they'll be blessed through you. So God says, I am going to mend this relationship through my love pursuit through Abraham. Right? This is, this is the next picture that we see, and then Abraham becomes the father of everything that happens. Right? And so we have to read the Bible in terms of Adam and what happened to Adam, because that's where the, the story continues, and then what happens with Abraham, because God says, now I'm going to undo it through Abraham. And Abraham becomes a central picture in Scripture. Now, I, I talked a little bit of, about this before, the covenant between God and Abraham. And in, in Genesis 15, um, I'm just going to read through it really quickly. So in Genesis 15, we get the, the promise of this restoration 
that God says he's going to bring through Abraham. So in Genesis 12, he, he says, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. I'm going to undo everything that was done in the garden. And then in Genesis 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, do not be afraid. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I'm childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is, is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, This man will not be your heir, but a son of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Look up at the stars and count them. And if indeed you can count them, and he says, So shall be your offspring. Right? So, so, so this is the promise. This is, this is you and me. This is the story of you and me and how God is going to mend this relationship that was broken between him and humanity. Right? This is what the story is about. Verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. All, all Abraham did was believe the promise. And, and, and he also said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. And, and then the next thing we see happening there is that God tells him to go ahead, grab some animals, cut them in half. And then we see this weird scenario happening here where Abraham is doing this ritualistic sacrifice. And this ritualistic sacrifice is the greatest picture because this is how God gives him the covenant, right? And, and again, to understand the progression of all of Scripture, these are just a, a, a few key points. These are the small threads that we have to follow as we move from downtown and out west. We have to follow these small threads and, and not focus on all the, the details and get lost. But this is what the Lord is, is doing. So, Abra in, in, in verse 10, Abraham brought all these to him and cut them in two and arrange them on the opposite side, right? So he brings a heifer, a goat, a ram, and he brings a dove. And verse 11, then the birds of the prey came down on the, car the carcasses and Abraham drove them out. As the sun was set and Abraham fell into a deep sleep, everyone say he fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country that is not their own. And in verse 14, he says, but I will punish the nation, right? And, and, and he goes on to spell out the promises of what we'll see happen in Exodus. In verse 17, when the sun is set and darkness fell, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and it passed through the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And he says, to your descendants, I will give this land, right? And, and then that's the promises for everyone here. So what do we see, see happening? I taught a little bit on this before. Here, here we see God takes these animals and he says, Abraham, I want you to cut them in half, right? And this is the way that they make a covenant. So in, in, in ancient times, like what they were doing is, is called cutting a deal. You guys ever heard that? Like, let's cut a deal. And, and so what they're doing is they're cutting a deal. They would rend this animal in half and there's blood and guts and everything on the floor. And then what they would do is the, the two parties who are making this agreement, they would hold hands and they would walk in the middle of this rendered carcass. And what they will be promising is that if I break my part of the covenant, I will be like this animal, right? This is, this is the covenant and this is the promise that I'm making to you that if I break my half, then I will be like this rendered animal with his guts poured out. And so one of the first things that we see happen here is that God makes a covenant with Abraham, but Abraham is asleep. And, and, he, and he says, this is the covenant I'm making with you. So Abraham is asleep on the side. And then we see God in the, in the form of the torch. God moves through the rendered animals. And God is making a promise for Abraham that cannot be broken. 
God is, God, is, God is making a covenant with Abraham that cannot be broken. So this is, this is, this is where the story gets really exciting. So if, if, if you've been sleeping, I want you to wake up. God makes a promise with Abraham that cannot be broken. Now, if, 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 you, if you haven't gotten what this means yet, it, it means that you can't do anything. You can't do anything to undo this covenant. So some of you just, just got to get this. I'm going to say it slow. There is nothing that you can do or that your neighbor can do those people who you think hate you and they're trying to ruin you and your empire, there is nothing they can do. The devil in hell, nothing he can do. I don't care how bad you behave. Well, you said, oh, well, I'm not with this the sin. I, I, I got the sin, just, so God's not blessing me. Bad theology. There's nothing you can do. Say it until it starts to soak. Until it starts to soak in, right? Until it starts to get it. There's what? Okay. What have you done to break this covenant of God? God says you messed up in the garden, and I'm going to pursue you in love, and I'm going to make a covenant to pursue you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to like you're going to be mine. He says you're going to be mine, and I'm, you're going to be in my heart. I'm, I'm going to be passionately in love with you. Now, what have you done to break that covenant? What things have you done? What kinds of things have you done? Okay, not you, because people don't like to think about themselves. Okay, what have other people done? <laughs> now you're like, well, I can tell you about them. I can tell you what they did, right? What are some things that people do that reasonably would say this promise that God can, this cannot be God. God, God cannot be a part of, of this thing that you have going on. Yeah, murder. What kind of lifestyles, what, what kind of behavior does someone have to produce before you say the covenant that God is going to love you and bless you forever is broken? There is none. And this is faith in Christ. You must believe this. This is the point. You must believe this. It's not an option to believe this. You must believe this. You must believe it for you, and you must believe it for your family, and you must believe it, listen to this, to the people who God has called you to minister the gospel to. You must believe this. You must believe that there's nothing in someone's life that can tear them away from the promise that God made as he's walking through the dead carcasses, shaking hands with himself, cutting a deal with God and saying, I'm going to bless this sleeping man over here. He doesn't even know it. He's asleep. And, and God is going to, the eternal God makes a promise with the eternal God for eternity that there's nothing this finite man over here can do. I'm going to bless him just because he may not even know it. He's asleep. How many of you met some people? They don't even know they're blessed. They don't even have a clue that God is blessing them. Have you ever met these people? Like, they're, they're like, <laughs> it's, it's mind-boggling to me. Like, they don't even trust in Jesus. They don't even have faith in anything, and God is just blessing them. And I'm offended by this. <laughs> I, I'm offended by this because I behave well. I come to church. I'm a pastor. 
There's people, they're not even pastors. They don't even have a church. God is like blessing them 10 times fold over and over because in my mind, there's something that they're doing that God should not be blessing them because I, I have not really believed this for real. In your ministry, as you're sharing the gospel with, with, with people, what kinds of things are, are we saying, you know what, if you really want to get this Christian game down, this is, this is what you got to get rid of first. This is, this is the kind of stuff that's got to happen. I, I, I encourage you, if, 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 there's, if there's nothing else that you get from today, there is nothing that sleeping Abraham could have done to violate the promise. And so people start to have a problem with the Bible. Well, multiple wives, killed people. Yeah, yeah, because you don't get the point of the Bible. The point is there's nothing he can do to break it. And so, yeah, but he's sleeping with people and he's lying to God. Yeah, and so there's nothing he can do to break it. Nothing he can do. Yeah, but what about David? There was kill people. Nothing he could do to break it. And so as Christians, when we think about David, we think, well, David is a man who was after God's own heart. And that's the David we want to be like. I want to be like the David in the Psalms that understand that I slept with Bathsheba. I like my, my son is dead. All this happened. The Messiah is going to come from my bloodline. There's nothing David could have done to stop the coming of Christ through his bloodline. The son of David. David was a terrible... If you had to evangelize David, if you had to counsel David and pastor David... You, you would probably tell, I, as a, I would tell David, listen, if you want the Messiah to really come from your bloodline, you need to clean your life up. Because the Messiah, like God, like, like I've, I've heard people say, God just really wants to bless you, but you just have to, wrong, wrong. There is nothing that you can do. Listen, you got to put all your eggs in this basket. Put all your eggs in this basket. That's what faith is. Faith, faith means that I'm just going to believe that there's nothing I can do to mess it up. And I think this is the point in the church where, where, where Paul started to feel the people saying, well, Denville, you're telling people to go out there and live these lives that they'll just sin. And Paul says, I'm not giving you a license to sin. You're, you're missing it. He says, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Whatever. All right. Genesis 3, Genesis 3, I'm sorry, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 9, spells it out. It says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, just as Abraham was blessed. How many of you know that Abraham was rich? Like Abraham was filthy rich. Like he had so much stuff, he had to hire people to take his stuff for him. Like, I question Abraham's move because God says, like, I want you to leave this place and go. And he's like, all right, cool. I'm bringing everything with me. <laughs> like, 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 it's not like when Jesus comes and he says, leave all this behind. God says, I need you to get up and go. And Abraham brings all his riches. And he's like, hey, I need my nephew to come with me, pack these bags, bring all this stuff. I'm taking my riches with me. But then, well, the rich can't get into heaven. There's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can be that can stop the promises of God. Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Love that verse. <laughs> all who rely on the works of the law, is it up there? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do, do everything in the book. If you base 
your life on how well you are doing. If you base your walk with God on how well you are doing, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Well, well, what is the law? The law, if I could just upgrade it to a place that we can understand very briefly, the law is anything, all your shoulds and coulds. Take all your shoulds and coulds, like I should do this, like I should, 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 like my should, my should, my should, my should, and then you shouldn't, well then you shouldn't, and I shouldn't, and I shouldn't, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't, and I shouldn't, shouldn't. What are those to you? Those are your laws. It says, if you're, if, if you're relying on the system of your laws for the blessings of God to come, then you're under a curse. Then what is a curse? A curse doesn't mean that there's going to be an owl that's going to fly into your room. and vo- that's, not, that's not what it is. A, a curse is simply being separated from God. When it says Christ, Christ was accursed, you remember that? Like, because he who hangs on a tree is accursed. Like, this is, this is what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when, 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 when Jesus, because he knew that he was going to become accursed. And becoming a curse means that you're separate from God. Do you remember? This is, this is what we saw throughout the, the Bible when someone was cursed. They were removed from the community. They were just separated from who God is. If you are relying on a system of whatever system, whatever crazy system you have in your life that says this is what I need to do in order for God to do something. Man, that felt good. Whatever system in your life that says that this is what I got to do in order for God to do what he's got to do. That is your law. And this is important. Let me tell you why this is important. This is important, and, and this is why the church exists. This is why it's important for you to come to church. You need to come to church because you need to hear this. And I need to come to church because as I'm preaching this, I need to hear this. So I was praying this, this morning. My, my, my prayer before I got up here was, was Lord, like, you, you, you know my hypocrisies, and you know that I'm about to get up here and say some things that are not really formed and foundational in my own life. But I'm going to preach it anyway. I'm going to say it simply because I'm also going to hear it, and I also need it. And so this is why we need to come to church, because we need to hear this. Why? You need to hear this because, listen to this. Listen to me. Every system of life tells you that if you do this, then this will happen. That's how, that's how life is designed. I, tell, I, I told my son this morning, this morning, if you eat your eggs, then you can get bacon. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what we do. If you pay your bills, you will have good credit. If you go to work, then you will get paid. If you work out, okay, all right. <laughs> too far, pastor, too far, too far. But, 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 but you need to come to, to, to church so, so you can hear this. And the different word is because and therefore. Because this happened, therefore this. Because Christ died. So, so therefore this. It, it's, it's, it's not a, if you do this, then this will happen. Because every, every area of our lives is designed to teach us this lesson. And then Christ comes in and says, that's not really the lesson that I want you to learn. I I want you to learn that it's not because you did something that this happened. It is because God did something. 
It, it is because of what he has done. And number three, the, the Bible is a story of redemption through Christ. The Bible is a story of redemption through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So when we talk about reconciliation, right, this is, this is a really great word to, to take away for today. Reconciliation means that you're putting together something that was once broken. That is one meaning of reconciliation, right? You're, the relationship was broken, and he says through Christ, it's coming back together. Right? And so the, the whole Bible has to be understood in terms of the broken relationship, the mending relationship, and the reconciliation. Like, this is, this is what the story of the Bible is about. In verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And this is the part, well, is, it, is it there? Bring me um, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 18, so you can see it so no one thinks I'm making this up. Because some eyebrows are about to get crazy. Um, all, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And if you're in your Bibles, I want you to circle this, highlight it, and underline it. It says, not counting people's sins against them. God was reconciling, there you go, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then, this is what he does, then he commits you to that message of reconciliation. There's nothing you can do. I think, I think that's my message for today. I, I, I need you to become disarmed. There's nothing you can do. And there's nothing that you've done to mess it up. And there's nothing that you can do to, to expedite it. There's nothing that you can do to make him change his mind. There's nothing that you can do. And for those of you who may be a little critical and saying, but pastor, you, you, you've got to say the other part. I think that the world is already saying the other part. I think you need to hear this part. I, th I think this is the part you need to hear. And if you can believe this part, it, it wasn't until I started believing that there's nothing I could do. When I got saved, <laughs> okay, w when I got saved, I, 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 I was in church and I was living with my girlfriend and and, and we, we were not living according to the standards of what God has set aside for people to have with one another when they're in a loving, committed relationship, right? All that to say I wasn't married. And, and I was a part of a church, and, and the church that I was a part of, um, they knew what was happening. Now, this becomes very controversial because... Uh, and, and, and I get it. I, I get it. I, I don't, don't think for one second that I don't understand. I'm about to tread on something a little controversial, and, and, and I'm sorry. But, but many people felt like they should have removed me from my leadership at the time. And as a pastor, I get it. Like if someone says, hey, like this is happening with, with someone on the worship team. This is happening with, with, with a leader in your church. 
then you probably need to remove them at that time. But, but I was still leading, and, 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 some, and, and I, I was a new Christian, and some people found out, and, and, the, and because I was, you know, I'm, I'm not a good liar, right? I, I, I'm, I'm a terrible liar. My wife will tell you, like, some, I, I get really nervous. You know, I, I get really nervous. I stutter more, more than I already do, and I just, like, like you, you could tell from my facial expression that, like, I'm, you know, and so people would, would ask, you know, like, hey, this is your girl. I'm like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're shacking up. <laughs> <laughs> we're just shacking up together. And, and, and it, it was controversial because I should have been removed from ministry. I shouldn't have been serving. And I get it. And, and they're right. But there, there was a guy there who, who was involved in my life. And he says, listen... Denville, I, I can't make you, I'm going to tell you what's right, I'm going to tell you what's true, and I'll see you next Sunday. And so I shared that with some friends, like, well, he should have removed you, like, you shouldn't be, or you, or you need to step down. And, and I get those principles, I, I, I understand the spiritual side of sowing it, I, I get it, you're pastoring people, you're leading people, I, I get it. So don't think that I'm ignorant to that, but, but, but what, what I'm trying to convey to you is, is that someone, someone allowed me to see, like, listen, there's nothing you can do. There's, there's nothing you could do to stop this. And it took about two or three months b- before the Lord just started to impact my heart. And I was like, it just, it, it made me change. Like, it just, just something in my heart that made me change because I realized that, like, there's nothing that I could have done to stop because God was still blessing me. And I was ministering and, and God was using me. And people were being blessed and, and healed. People were being saved. And I was like, man, like, there's, but I'm doing, but I have this lifestyle. And, and God was like, no, I'm, I'm, you don't understand this, Denville, because you, you think that your lifestyle is going to stop me. But like, but, but like we were singing, over mountains. He leaps over mountains. And that was my mountain. And I know that many times in the church, when we come to a mountain, we tell people, you need to stop. But here's the thing, it doesn't change the heart. And, and, and here's re- realistically what would have happened. I probably would have been offended because I was a really young Christian and I would have left the church. And I would have left the church and I probably would have never gone back because I'm being rejected because people don't accept who I am and where I am. And, 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 it, and, and it was because someone persevered and someone who understood this, someone who understood this and said, listen, I could, I, I could try to force him to stop his actions, but God isn't, God isn't after your silly actions. Your, your little rituals, your, your washing hands, the cleansing ceremonials, like God isn't after that. Because you could do all this action, and so you can get me to move out, you can get me to stop, but in my heart, I'm still not changed. And so they understood this, and they were like, listen, nothing we can do. You, God, God needs to do this. And so here's, and, and, and what they chose to do was they, they chose to love me despite my sin. The greatest testimony of Jesus in my first year of being a Christian was that there was someone who said, Denville, stay in your sin, come as you are, be as you are, 
Because it's good to sing that and say that. It's really good. Like, hey, come as you are, brothers. Come as you are. Come to church just as you are. We're going to look at you funny. We're going to talk about you. And then we're going to try to tell you to stop. But come as you are. I love you too much to have you not changed. I need you to come as you are so I can make you different. Listen, I, 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 I get it. I, I understand. What, but what I'm saying is that there's nothing that you can do. And especially when we're a prophetic culture as we are, this is a really important fundamental thing for you to understand. And, and, and I've spoke on, on this many times before, and it's really important that we get that you cannot change people. You can't even change you. You, you have your own rules that you break all the time. I set standards for myself and I fail at them. I fail at these standards all the time. But it says that what needs to happen is my faith needs to be sown into the fact that it is because of him. It is this man, Jesus, that if I just put my faith on him, like, and if this is you today, if this is you and you're in a place where you know you need to get out, here, is, here, here would be my ministry to you would say, listen, I'm not going to tell you to leave where you are because you, you can do it to please me. And then I'm going to be calling you to live under this law and for all who rely on the works of the law, they're, uh, they're under a curse. And so you're still going to be separated from God. That's what the curse is, being separated from God. If I tell you to ride a broken bicycle, you're going to fall and bust your face. <laughs> like, like living life by the law is a broken bicycle. And I'm telling you, don't write it. It would be to stay where you are and continue to trust God and God will bring you, the, but just don't stop looking at him. Just don't stop looking at him because he will bring about the change that you need. He, he will, he's the changing agent, not, not me. I'm like the speaking agent. I just come up here and I speak, but he's the changing agent. He's the one that's even, he's the one who, who will come and change your heart, but, but, but you got to let him. You've got to let him do that for you. Let me give you the last one before we, we, we leave here. I have some more stuff I wanted to say. I don't even know anymore. Romans 5, 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace, the gift that came by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? See, we, we, we put Adam in the place of Christ. We, we, we put Adam in the place of Christ in that we, we have a great confidence in what Adam did. And when we say, well, there, there's, there, there's sin in the world. Through, through one man, sin came into all the world. And, and we get that and we believe that. And the Bible is the story of, 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 of how the, you take that same picture and you turn it around through the death of one man, through the grace of one man. Grace, it overflowed to many. Through one man, not through one behavior, not through one change, not through one correction, not through one, through one man. It is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It is not about you. And the moment you make it about you and your silly little sins, it becomes about you. It is about Jesus. 
And what I'm telling you is that if you could take your eyes off of you for one second and focus on him, it, it'll be so much better for your entire day. You, you know that most, most Christians are, are so aware of, of, of their, of their mess-ups and their hang-ups throughout the day. Many Christians spend more time praying for forgiveness than they do just spending time with the Father, just, just, just want to see you, like to, to have passion for Jesus. And I think this happens when we just start to take our eyes off of ourselves for a minute. Let me tell you something that will not happen. There, there, will, there will not be there will not be one person who's going to be in hell saying, but I believe that he was the son of God. I believe that he was Jesus. And I, and I tried to, but I just couldn't, like I tried to, to, to live a better life, but I just couldn't. No, one, no one's going to be there like, Jesus, I tried my whole life to get to know you. No one. There will be no such person in hell. There'll be no such a person who says, I tried to get to know you, and I, and I, tried, to, I tried to connect with you. I tried to love, I tried. Like, I, I tried because I believe that you're God. I tried because I believe you're the son of God, and, and, and I know that I need you, and I just kept messing up. Like, no one's going to be in hell with that story. None. Because that's the very heart that gets you to heaven. That's the very heart that gets you to heaven. And so God is after that heart. Just like I was telling people, I've never, I've met a lot of homeless people. I've never met a homeless person who was like, I just gave too much. <laughs> like I just gave and like I, had so much, I, I gave to the church. I gave to, to the United Way. I, I, I gave to the Red Cross. Like I met some other poor people and I gave to them. And that's why I'm homeless. I've, I've never met such a person. I've never met such a person. Because with that kind of heart, with that kind of heart, whatever. Number four, <laughs> number four, <laughs> number four, the Bible is the story of how God wins. That's it. So it starts with sin and the whole thing is just telling you, hey, this is how God wins. This is the process of, 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 of how God wins. So when you couldn't get to God, when you couldn't stay with God and you messed up, the entire Bible said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick one man called Abraham, and he's going to form a group of people. And through this people, through, through this people, the Jewish people, the whole world is going to be blessed through this Jewish people. And they're going to have a history. And through this history, they're going to mirror and picture these kinds of life. And so, so I'm going to send you uh, sac sac sacraments and sacrifices and systems and say, if, if, if you kill this animal in place for your sin, just a picture of what's about to come. I'm going to send you priests and prophets and judges, and I'm going to give you a whole history just, just to try to bridge this gap and bridge this relationship. And I'm going to give you good behaviors to follow just to keep you right and trying to get... But then one day, God realized that all of the stuff that you're doing couldn't cut it. You couldn't sacrifice enough animals. You couldn't have enough kings and priests and judges. You couldn't have enough of that to get to him. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap myself up into flesh. I'm going to step out of my divinity and come into humanity, and I'm going to bridge the 
the gap this way. There's nothing that you could do to stop Jesus. The, the Sadducees and Pharisees tried to stop him, and they couldn't stop him when he came into the earth. There's nothing they could do to stop God, because this was God's promise, coming into the earth. And then they killed him. Death tried to stop him. Death couldn't stop him. He was in the grave, and then he rose up. And, and then even when he rose up again, they didn't believe in him, and, and they couldn't accept him, and they couldn't even stop him. He just ascended into heaven, and then he gave gifts to man, and he's blessing men, and he says, this is a story of how God wins, because you can't stop him. God wins because you can't stop him. And this is, this is what you've got to get. You cannot stop God because he wins. And what I'm going to invite you to today is to just join the winning team. That is how I preach the, the, the gospel. God wins, join the winning team. If, if, if I told you, listen, got this whole game rigged, the Dolphins are going to win, place your bets on this because God wins. That is the invitation to follow Jesus. It's not, hey, I need you to do a better job. I need you to just, just join this team. Put your eggs in all this basket that he's the son of God, that he's the one that can do it. You're nothing without him. You're nothing without him. You were never anything without him because he's the one that made you, so you never were. You were nothing without him, and you're even nothing. If you separate from him, you're, you're nothing without him. And he recognized this, and he's like, listen, you're going to be nothing without me, but you don't recognize it, so I'm, I'm going to come to you because you don't even know you're nothing without me because nothing doesn't recognize it's nothing because it's nothing. <laughs> and so he comes and he makes you something. And there's nothing that nothing can do to become something but continue to be nothing until something comes. <laughs> I, <gotta play. laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's nothing that nothing can do to become something. So you need something to come into nothing to make it something. So if you're nothing, continue to be nothing until something comes to make you something. That is the, that, if you want to learn to preach the, the gospel, it's just really simple. God wins. Come join this team. God, 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 is, God is winning. Ezekiel 37 verse 26 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Uh, can you start from 36 of Ezekiel 37? It says, it says after we see the whole thing of the valley of dry bones, right? It's like, it's like death can't even stop you prophesy over these bones. It's like, oh, but they've been dead for years. It's not like these people didn't just die. This, this is not Lazarus, right? This isn't Lazarus who just died and, and he still has flesh and, and all that Lazarus had was some grave cloth that needed to come off. He said, no, no, no. These bones have been dead for years. These people died a long time ago. I don't care how long you've been dead. If you've been dead for a really long time, he says, prophesy to these bones and speak to them. Flesh, come on these bones. Muscles, ligaments, come back on these bones. Death can't stop his plans for life in you, right? And, and, and then at the end of 37, Ezekiel 37, verse 27 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant. Somebody say an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. What, is, what does that mean? Everlasting. It means, it means everlasting. That, that means that when you stop, it continues. Even if, you, even if you stop, it continues. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Said, I'm, you don't even have to come to my sanctuary. I'm going to set my sanctuary in your midst. 
you don't even need to come. I'm, I'm just going to come and set my sanctuary in your midst forever. Verse 27, my dwelling place will also be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is Ezekiel prophesying before Christ even comes. He says, I'm gonna, my dwelling place is going to be with them. And then the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And then if we go to Revelation 21, verse 3, John, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city. I just want to see a holy city. This is good. This is good. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, finally happening. What Ezekiel said, the fullness of what Jesus did, God wins. And here is how he wins. Look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. What does that mean? The kingdom is coming. God is going to be in charge of everything and you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't even have to go to the holy city. God is going to split the heaven open and the holy city is going to come down. I'm telling you, you can't stop this man. You can't stop this man. And I need you to believe that, not just for you, but I need you to believe that for the people in your life that you're praying for. I need you to believe that for the people in your life who you're believing to come to Christ. I need you to believe that nothing can stop them. I used to be an atheist. My beliefs couldn't stop him. He pursued me like a fight. I got saved when I went to go fight a priest. I went to go fight a priest. He had, he, he had to ask me, you don't have a gun on you, do you? I was ready to fight a priest. There's nothing you could do to stop him. In this living room, the Holy Spirit came. And I didn't even know Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came and touched me and moved me. I was an atheist ready to fight a priest. You can't stop him. I don't care what you're doing and trying to stop him. You can behave worse if you want to, but you can't stop him. The grace of God is sufficient. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. He comes even more. The, the, you you cannot stop this God. And that's where I need you to place your faith in this. When you put your faith in this, trust me, your actions will line up. Your behavior, don't worry about behavior. That's going to line up. You need to deal with the head. Deal with the head. Put your faith in this man, Jesus. Put your faith in him. He is God and he has come and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so the Bible ends, but the story continues. And your life tells the rest of the story. And so it ends with Revelation. And the, and the rest of the story is this. The rest of the story is this. The rest of the story is how mankind responds to God. And so we see God's response. After, after Adam fell in the garden, this is what God did. This was God's response. God says, I'm going to love you till the wheels fall off. I'm going to pursue you until I'm going to, I'm going to get you. He is, he is like a lover, the Song of Solomon. He is like a lover that is after the one that he loves. You remember the Song of Solomon where, 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 where he was describing his lover? It's like her teeth are messed up. Like she, she big boned. She don't even look really right. But that's my beloved. And I'm going to leap over mountains and overseas to get to her. That's you. Your teeth ain't all that right. You may be a little big-boned, but he loves you. 
And you don't, you don't need to fix your teeth. You, you don't need to fix your bones. He loves your teeth and he loves your bones. And this is his story. And then the story continues. And how do you respond to a story like this? How, how do you respond to a God who does this? How do you respond to a God who you do nothing but violate him and he does nothing but bless you? How do you respond to this? This is, ladies, this is greater than that guy in high school that chased you around for four years. Because he's married now with somebody else and he forgot your name. This is such a better story. Like forever, he, he just, he never stops. And how do you respond to this? We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaves. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.